0: Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage and knock them dead. There are a few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs a feeling of community, understanding, and power helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. Welcome listeners to another episode of tits up. I'm sure you all know by now I am Megan and I am joined by my fabulous co-host Sam.
1: Hello listeners. It's great to be here. We're in for a real treat today. I don't think I've ever been this excited for an episode yet anyway, Grab your blanket, just like mine, and maybe a nice snack, healthy one or not. That's your choice. We have a very special guest this week.
0: Listeners, our guest is Lisa Wingrove, a registered dietitian. She specializes in debunking food myths and giving quality food advice, specifically to us Onco patients. She is here to help us uncover the truth behind some persistent food myths, especially those related to cancer. Um, And we would also like her to talk a little bit about her piece of the pie called Fearless Foods. So, Lisa, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Megan and Sam. It's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. We're so excited. So, Lisa, could you just give us a little bit of your background, how you got into this area, and then do a shameless plug for Fearless Foods?
2: Brilliant. (laughs) So I got into this area um, through a love of food uh, that was encouraged really by my grandmother. She was an amazing cook, and she would always prepare food to take care of others. And so, when I did my degree, that was really I think the basis for it. The other thing is I just love food, and I I love cooking it, but I love eating it, and I, I just it's, it's such an important part of my life. And so, um, when I finished my degree in dietetics, I started working in oncology and. Um, it's, you know, I worked in oncology for over 10 years. Um, I've been a certified specialist in oncology nutrition, but I think my personal experience um, with cancer with my husband and my mother have both really shaped how I approach the care of patients because, I have a practical and personal perspective to bring to that rather than just from textbooks. So, um, and where, where am I now? fearless food, a shameless plug. Um, I have my own business and um, I provide patient consult care. And uh, so I deal mostly with oncology patients and patients with GI issues. Um, Sometimes they go hand in hand, sometimes they don't, but my, my, Goal is to really work on supporting patients' knowledge and capacity, so making sure that the information that they're receiving is science-based and that they can learn how to manage some of the side effects from treatment or get evidence-based answers to questions around survivorship. So um, I do a cook and consult, which is where we cook in my kitchen and um, it's specifically related to what you need, and I also do one-on-one patient consultation. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> what a good idea. It's so necessary, and, I mean, it's uh, as cancer patients, when you're all of a sudden hit with that, like, hey, you have cancer, We, I, at least I know myself, so I guess I'm only speaking for myself, but in other people that I've spoken with, we're pretty susceptible To all of these myths that are out there. Um, And you don't really know which ones to cling to, which ones are true, what, you know, what's false, what's, what does society throw out at you? And it, it can become very, very overwhelming. Um,
2: and, and I agree yeah. with that. And I think that part of the reason why I called the, the business fearless food is, and that's my Australian accent. So let me say it in American, fearless food. Um, so, <laughs> so because people get scared of eating, they get frightened. Yeah. And you are, I think, Just naturally so susceptible to information because in cancer you don't have a lot of control so you look for things that you can control and one of those is food and nutrition and and what you're eating but you're right Megan I mean everyone's an expert in cancer in cancer nutrition but they're really not so it's really difficult to work out where to get your information from
0: absolutely that's why I'm so glad that you're here
1: (laughs) I think um me and Megan pick up a lot of terms from pages we like, but we tend to call those people cancer muggles. Lisa, <laughs> <laughs> um, great. I think this is a perfect segue into maybe the our first and quite frankly, maybe the biggest myth is uh, sugar feeds cancer. Lisa, so oh, give he- us the science on that, oh my please. God.
2: <laughs> You know, I don't know how many times dietitians hear this. Um, there are handouts produced just on this topic because it is typically one of the main things that patients come in and ask. And so, if we we're talking about does sugar feed cancer, what I really want to think about is dietitians are scientists. Um, it's not really sugar, it's glucose. It's, it's glucose, it's a carbohydrate. So I really think if we're talking about science, we need to use scientific terms. You know, it's kind of like genitalia. You know, we use the right, si- the right terms in that and then we know what we're talking about, right? It's a vulva. Yeah, we know what it is. We know exactly. where it is. It's accurate. And so we should do exactly the same thing in science. So yes. when, you know, people throw out that line, sugar feeds cancer, um, you know, first of all, it's just patently wrong. And um, we really need to look at what the evidence says about glucose. There is no evidence that glucose makes cancer cells grow, grow faster or causes cancer. Um, and, and I think the, the thing we really need to think about is metabolism. I mean, how do we fuel our body? When we fuel our body with gluc- glucose. It is our primary fuel source for our heart, our brain and our cells. And so you can't selectively feed half your body, like you can't not feed, um, Your cells, you you have to do so. You have to feed them with glucose. And if you are not getting enough glucose, what tends to happen is, especially in cancer, your body starts to break down protein. And that's why we see patients with greater losses of muscle mass. And it might be because they're not eating as much. But your metabolic needs increase significantly through cancer. So your body is looking for ways to fuel itself. So if you start cutting back on carbohydrates, you're kind of starving your body, which is is not obviously a smart thing to do. But there's some ways around this. So, when we think about um, glucose, are carbohydrates created equal? Well, no, they're not. Like, there's a difference between a donut and um, an apple, for example. Uh, one is a simple carbohydrate, one is a complex carbohydrate. So when we look at that, the complex carbohydrate has fiber, it has vitamins, it has minerals, a simple carbohydrate really doesn't have very much. Um, a donut is going to give you a small burst of energy and apple's going to last a little bit longer. So one way to really think about this purposefully is how can I combine carbohydrates with a protein or a fat? Because if we do that, we actually slow down the absorption in our GI and so our blood glucose stays nice and level. So think of things like I'm going to have a slice of apple with some peanut butter or I'm going to have some yogurt with my fruit. And that way we're really working with our bodies to provide it the fuel that it needs. But equivocally, I'm just going to say it, sugar doesn't feed cancer.
0: Where did that come from, do you think? The myth.
2: I I think... um, in it's historical, and I think that um, when people have looked at what does sugar feed off, well, oh, sorry, what does cancer feed off? It feeds off glucose, but every single cell in our body does, and that's why I'm saying you can't starve a tumor. You there is no evidence to support doing that, but as I just said, you know, there's a difference between the carbohydrates that we eat, so having. Um, processed foods, we're not really um, fueling our body effectively. What, we, what we're what we going to talk about in a little bit, I think, is, you know, what the American Institute of Cancer Research recommends for, for cancer prevention specifically. But one of those is maintaining a healthy weight. And so eating an apple with peanut butter is really healthy and good for you and giving you lots of vitamins and minerals. A donut, you know, you can do it every now and then, but it's not something that we should be doing every single day or multiple times a day. Bummer. I know I'm not saying you can't have it dietitians are not the food police we are not everything in moderation I understand a little of what you fancy you know a little of what you fancy and then you get that flavor you get that satisfaction but you're not sitting on the sofa eating you know 20 24 box of donuts (laughs) or not
0: I'm not gonna act like I haven't been there before
2: (laughs) I think we've all done it
0: um, okay. So I'm really glad that we got that one out of the way because that is, that is the big one. And you said that you were going to send us, before we started recording, Yes. you said that you were going to send us, um, some links about this. So for our listeners, look in the show notes, because we are going to link a lot of what Lisa is talking about today. Um, just for everybody's knowledge and edification. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think the next one that I have heard a lot is about organic food, switching from non-organic to organic. Um, and that, that is definitely the better way to go. I don't really know much about this. So I am just going to hand that one right over to yeah, you.
2: Yeah. And, and I, it's a great question. And, um, I think a lot of people get into the, the minutiae of, um, the food that they're eating, which is part of this fearless food thing again, right? It's like, you know, how, how did I get cancer? I don't know how I got cancer. So therefore was it the food I was eating and, and it, it, 95% of the time, no, it's not, even higher than that. It's, it's got nothing to do with that, but we're looking for something to control. And so right. when we think about organics, Um, there really is very limited evidence to say that it is healthier for you as far as um, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, those kinds of things. I think there are some very small studies that talk about isoflavones, which um, can be an antioxidant, but widely available in a lot of foods. But that might be slightly higher in organics. But the thing is this, organics tend to be much more expensive People who are paying for organics, therefore, are typically not buying as much fruits and vegetables as they really need to be eating. So, are there reasons for eating organics? Absolutely, there's an environmental reason for eating organics if that is what you care about, or if you're worried about pesticide use. But we know with pesticides, you can wash your fruits and vegetables under running cold water with agitation, and it removes like 99% of any residue that's on the fruit or vegetable that you're eating. So I, there as I, as I said before, there isn't any evidence to say that we should be eating organics, but if you're making that choice, it's typically not related to disease risk. It's related to things associated with the environment, for example. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for yeah. that. You're welcome. <laughs> I, you're welcome. You could just,
0: you, I'm kind of going back to the sugar thing here real quick, but I, I love sugar. <laughs> I, love, uh, I that's what I crave some people crave salty I crave sweets constantly and I've heard other people say this and I very much have this mentality where you know let's just say I had a big day at the office and I want to go home and just have a little bit of ice cream or something um, and watch some TV and just zone out there is something there like that little voice in my head that's always saying like you're giving yourself cancer again, you're giving yourself cancer again. And, you know, it's as as a cancer patient, you want to control as much as you can, because you can't really control much of anything throughout this whole process. So being able to control your food is so um, liberating and helpful, you know, for your mentality. Um, But But then allowing yourself that extra little bit that's so tough, feeling like you're doing this to yourself again, you know? I mean, you said it a second ago, you know, what did I do to give myself cancer? What did I eat to do this? And I think that that's just so, it's such a relief to know that, yes, you still, of course, need to be healthy, but have it. It's not going to be the thing that, that kills you.
2: And, you know, I think... Especially with young women who find themselves in this situation, as both of you and your listeners are in, like we've we've either dealing with active disease or we're in the survivorship role. And I I have counselled and worked with so many patients who I, I think there is a special kind of fear in breast cancer, and and I I I think it's you know as women. We take care of everybody. We want to be able to fulfill that role, and we have these, you know, these appendages on the front of our bodies that that God they let us down. You know, like how do and and how did that happen? So when we think about what caused it, it it's amazing to me how we we don't really spend as much time thinking about. Well, was it my environment, or was it stress, or was it a genetic thing, or was it um some some quirk that happened in my DNA that that caused this but food seems to come to everybody's mind and and I think as I said before you know it's because it's something we do have control over and so I have sat in consultations with women who have cried saying that they thought their multivitamin use caused their breast cancer. And and, and that doesn't sound rational, right? And, And it's not rational. But when we're trying to think about, oh, what did I do? That guilt piece, it just plays so much into this because we are always seeking an explanation for how did this happen to me? And so we really get in the weeds about food and those kinds of things. And you were talking, Megan, about your craving, so I'm going to talk a little bit about this. But, but I think it's part of our attitudes towards foods as well, like how we deal with a stressful day at work, how we deal with, um, how we deal with, you know our desires to eat something, or it might've been a favorite thing as a child. Like you might've been rewarded with ice cream as a child and you're like, yes, that's what I need when I get home. That makes me really happy. You know, I've heard there's a lemon ice cream at Trader Joe's from one of my um, patients I follow that is amazing. So, you know, and, and I'm gonna tell you, I would never say to her, don't eat the ice cream because it's part of who we are and what makes us happy. But when we think about um, uh, cravings, it's it's regarded as an altered food behavior. But what we mostly see in the research is that women who've dealt with breast cancer overwhelmingly are represented in this grouping of people who crave sweet things. So is it hormonal, is it pharmacological, is it sociocultural, is it environmental? You know, we get all these pressures coming at us from different areas. Is it advertising? Is it stress that's making you want this? Is it you didn't get enough sleep. Is it a learned response from childhood? You know, there's multiple things playing into this. And what I'm going to say is sometimes it can be when you're really hungry, sometimes it can be when you're really stressed. And so it's thinking a little bit about how we respond to those things. The the key is to not let yourself get really hungry but to have small meals through the day, like have five or six small meals through the day and that way you don't get that yearning, desperate, I've got to have this to eat right now. Um, but the other way to think about this is okay so you want something sweet how about some raspberries with some dark chocolate shaved on it I mean that's a win-win and it tastes really good it doesn't mean you can't have ice cream you can have ice cream but what I would say to you is have a if you've got your bowl of and your ice cream's in there, put some raspberries and dark chocolate in as well because you'll probably eat less of the ice cream and you'll get way more health benefits from doing it, but you still get that satisfaction from the sweetness, which I think is what you're saying, Megan. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: and I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> when we listen back to this, I'm gonna write down: go get the raspberries and some dark chocolate. And raspberries
2: are a steal at the moment. So I was just gonna say to you, know that there's actually a review article. It's a systematic review that I was reading today, uh, exactly about this topic. That I'll put in the list of references for people to have a look at, because it's super awesome. interesting that you know there are different um, altered food behaviors that seem to happen more with uh, women with breast cancer and the cravings is one. The other one is orthorexia, which is that I'm frightened of eating. If I'm going to eat, I need it to be a very proper diet. Like I need to be very specific and very scientific about what I'm going to eat. And that tends to occur, occur more in breast cancer patients who are highly educated Um and they may have other things going on, but there are limited studies saying that that's, that's the same group that, that we're talking to today who may be, you know, experiencing that fear. Yikes. Wow. Yeah, right? that, that just been a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Uh, but I,
0: yeah, I mean, like the, what was it called? Orthorexia? Orthorexia, yeah. Orthorexia. Okay. God. You, you were telling us that there was, you had a client that i think was only eating kale or kale something and walnut. like that
2: oh my god yeah because she she was and it it was it's exactly what we're talking about she was so frightened of eating because every source of information that she was reading was um, talking about glucose and talking about it feeding cancer. And that's why it's so important to use evidence-based websites and sources for your information because you shouldn't be limiting foods that are healthy and good for you. And so a diet right. of kale and walnuts is not going to get you very far and it's certainly not going to help you in when you're getting inactive treatment or even in survivorship. It's going to starve you. So there's nothing wrong with kale and walnuts. But only insofar as they are part of a much broader scheme of eating.
0: Right. It's also kind of the question of, like, quality versus quantity when oh. it comes to life. You know, yeah. like, we've all busted our ass to still be alive. And now we're here and we're just going to eat kale and walnuts. Right. Absolutely
2: not. Right. And no, I not I. Right, Sam, it gets back to that love of eating and that love of food and the role food plays in our lives, whether it's cultural. Like we've got Thanksgiving coming up. You know, that's a big cultural event. There are specific foods that people like to see on the table that they've had since, you know, their grandmother made it for them. And why should we... You know, deny ourselves those delights and joys of food because food is this incredible thing that brings us together. It binds us together with our culture and our heritage, but also the joy of sharing a meal. Together is a, such an important thing for conversation. Um, I, I'm told that historically around the Thanksgiving table for Americans, it's political conversations which can be fraught. So hopefully the, the hopefully the sweet potato can get you through all of
1: that. We are embarrassed, Lisa. No! We are
2: embarrassed. I, think <laughs> I think it's great. We, I think it's great. Why not just hash it out and have it at the table?
0: And then as soon as you get it calmed down, then you've got Christmas and we can just start all over again, start yelling at each other.
2: Just in case you didn't get everything. The American way. (laughs) It's fabulous. I love a good celebration of food. So um,
1: just to clarify then, Lisa, there is no cancer superfood
2: or food that if I eat every single day, I will never have a recurrence. There is no single magic superfood. However, I will say that there are foods that you should be including more often. Blueberries are amazing. They've got lots of antioxidants in them, they're full of fiber, they're delicious. Um, uh, green, uh, leafy green vegetables, broccoli. Is if if there is a superfood, there's not. But broccoli is high in fiber. It's got indole. It's a cruciferous vegetable. It's a it's a re- really great cancer fighter. Um, using alliums like garlic, um, ginger, and onion known cancer fighters and the basis for so much great food and delicious cooking but easy to work with and very inexpensive. I mean an onion is not going to set you back a lot of money. Carrots, carrots are great so you don't have to go out and buy all the fancy pants food, you can just eat food, real food and it will work in your system to reduce inflammation, to reduce oxidative damage, to, to help support your body to heal itself and be well. Yes. Wow. If
0: there were, <laughs> if there were, um, cause you know, you hear of all the different diets that people are on right. all the time, you know, whether it's, um, you know, gluten-free or it, that's not really a diet, but that, or, um you know, keto or fill in the blank, right? Right. right? If there was one or is there one that you think is better than another?
2: So I think the research firmly falls on the side of the Mediterranean diet and and that's not new. We've known this for a long time. Lots of studies have have looked at this Um, and it's not just longevity of life, it's quality of life. And so if you're going to follow one, and I have to say, you know, I'm not a big fan of most of the diets because they restrict a food type. Like it will be, you know, don't eat dairy or it's don't eat any animal products or and then supplement you know accordingly because you have to replace what you're not eating but the Mediterranean diet is healthy and it's easy and I know Sam loves um Israeli foods Middle Eastern food yes and so because I know the shawarma was a hit the other week and so and I did my weekly
1: takeout. everybody
2: I was like it's great. Like, that's great. What comes with it? Well, it comes with hummus. That's got lovely flavors. It's high in fiber. You know, it, it's just a high protein food. It's got delicious flavorings with it. And it probably comes with a cucumber salad, which has got really nice lemons. And so thinking about feta cheese. And so thinking a lot about fish, because they, um, the Mediterranean diet does have fish within it. it, it it's a less less focused on animal protein, but eggs are in it, low fat dairy, all the pulses and legumes, lots of nuts, but lots of fruits and vegetables. And just, it's a very simple way of eating and working with foods and spices, like, or using citrus to enhance the flavor of things, lots of fresh herbs. That's the diet that we would recommend. The other thing is when we think about what we want to prevent happening for people who have already dealt with a cancer diagnosis is the risk of secondary cancers and this is the one diet that is cardioprotective it also reduces your risk for type 2 diabetes it's got a lot going for it it's it's the diet that most dietitians would recommend that you follow and it's like downright that. delicious yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's why I love that. It's because it's so good. It is. You're not withholding from yourself. Right, right.
2: And the Especially many-
1: the pita bread. Yeah. People think you like, there's no bread. Like, no, the best bread, the best bread. <laughs> Dip it in the hummus, fill it up, stuff the pita. It's like a little sandwich. I mean, the possibilities are endless. And the salad is not really like salad. You're like, oh, is this a snack? It's like, whoa.
2: Right. And and I think it's so easy to prepare, but I just want to say the Mediterranean diet is not just adding feta cheese to your salad and calling it good. It's not. That is not the Mediterranean diet. It's a little bit more than that. It involves you know, some canned chickpeas or some beans or some learning how to cook with lentils, you know, um, but there are lots of delicious ways to do that. And I think once people start feeling comfortable with, you know, using olive oil, which is a healthy fat, using avo- you can use avocados, eggs, you know. I mean, there are many uh, overlaps with what we currently would say is the Western diet. But most of the fats are healthy fats in the Mediterranean diet. And because of the reduction in animal protein, we lose a lot of those saturated fats. So it's healthy in so many ways.
0: So Lisa, I, you've, you've been mentioning like, um, and animal products. So meats, cheeses, yogurt, um, milk. I know that milk, uh, there's a lot surrounding milk. (laughs) Um, so this is kind of a compound question. I might just let you run with it, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) what, what science is there? Um, and what do you have to add to the science for us surrounding animal products so meat cheese milk all of that especially if you have estrogen and progesterone positive breast cancer
2: right so that is a compound question and it's going to take a few little segments to break it down so if I forget something will you just tell me absolutely okay great so um I just am going to start by saying the line of one of my colleagues and friends who's another dietitian and she says I eat all the foods and I'm just going to say that I eat all the foods I do because I haven't really found any evidence that tells me I need to avoid if you know any one thing um but I eat them in moderation So let's start with what the research says about red meat because I think it's something that comes up. Um, The American Institute for Cancer Research is – a seminal website that I'm going to send you guys as a link because it, you can just type in your question, it's going to answer it for you. So they are partnered with the World Cancer Research Fund and they look at all the all the research and they, they put it together and they come up with these updates. They're called CUP updates, Continuous Update Project. And they have one for breast cancer, which I'll send you, but they also have general recommendations for people to avoid cancer or to reduce your risk. And so I think the red meat question is really important. So the recommendation is less than 18, 18 ounces a week of red meat. Now, so that's a over a pound, um, but it's, it's just a pound and two ounce, ounces. So if you look at what the research says, that's what the research says and choosing lean red meat within that, like not not choosing high fat um, cuts of meat, um, especially. One of the things I think a lot of people ask about is bacon. And so let's talk a little bit about bacon, because um, I, I read The Guardian each day in the UK, and they're always having a conniption about how bacon, another study has come out and said that bacon is bad for you. And it's like, what else are we going to eat for breakfast? It's a disaster. The thing with the bacon is there's several things. The first is it's a smoked meat and we think that during the smoking process something changes in the DNA and that that could be concerning for our DNA or the way that we process foods. The other thing is um, it's a very, very high fat product. And, and we tend to recommend not having a high fat intake, like having a, a, a lower fat, especially because it's a saturated fat. It's not It's not a great choice. Does it mean that you can't eat bacon? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just doesn't mean that you have six slices you know twice a day to eat. everything in moderation, right? Right. Okay, so the other thing let's talk about this is the smoked meats thing again. So does this mean mm-hmm. you can't have a hot dog at the foot at the baseball? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it's saying is we know that this food product is is potentially um, concerning. It's mostly related to colorectal cancer, but other cancers as well. And so what we know is that saying we just don't want you to do it regularly doesn't mean you can't eat it like it doesn't mean you can't have one when you're going out it it doesn't mean that at all so that's what the research says about red red meat let's talk a little bit about dairy it's actually quite a lot of research about low-fat dairy being healthy and good for you it can it's preventative against type 2 diabetes it's a great source of protein but for women who have um have had breast cancer or are going through breast cancer, often bone health can be a concern. Dairy is a great source of calcium and and it's a quick and easy thing to eat. So when we look at what does the research say about milk, I think a lot of people – there's there's a lot of milks on MELK in the marketplace now. I mean, there's almond, there's soy, there's oat, there's cashew, there's coconut, I and mean, there's lots of different choices. So um, when we look at that, what the American Institute of Cancer Research says is that there is no evidence linking dairy intake to an increase in the risk of developing cancer or having a recurrence of cancer. But what they do say is there are high fat dairy products which fall into that high fat category again. So things like, um, you know, if you're going to have a big fat wedge of brie, it doesn't mean you can't have it but you're not going to be having it every single day because that is the food that that contributes to us eating too many calories right and gaining weight and we know that obesity is linked to um, a concern when it comes to cancer. So as far as um, milk goes, milk is a great source of calcium, it's a great source of protein, but there are, there are other choices and some people are lactose intolerant. If you're lactose intolerant, you have to have another choice, right, for, for that. But also, where are you getting your calcium from plenty of places to find calcium that are not in dairy so you can have greens like broccoli kale bok choy collard greens um dried beans and peas edamame soybeans almonds sesame seeds um some cereals are fortified with calcium so it's not a hard thing to get you just have to be more purposeful with it megan did i answer all that question i didn't miss some out
0: I I think you got all of it. The thing that I'm kind of hanging on to right now, where this next question is coming from is um, bone health. Yeah. So I ended up having a um, full hysterectomy. Everything's gone. Um, Cervix included, just nothing left. (laughs) Um, And about a year out, I just had another bone scan. I had one before the hysterectomy and then one just recently. And it showed a deterioration already. I just got these results. I don't think I've even talked to you about them, Sam. Um, but it showed a deterioration in um, a lot of my joints. So, like, I feel it in my fingers, in my toes. Um, I, I don't know what they're called, but, like, these bones, but in my feet. Mm-hmm. Those are starting to de- yep. uh, deteriorate. And I can feel that every single day. Like, God help me when I wear my heels for work. Like, it's it hurts so bad and my hips and a few other joints. So I can tell that it's starting to happen. Right. It's starting to occur. And I, um, you know, before you and I started talking, I was also really worried about, you know, milk and getting enough calcium, especially for that bone health. Now I happen to just like almond milk better than regular milk. So I'm just, that's what I'm up to. But I remember thinking um, and I heard somewhere, God knows where, that the um in milk there's obviously a ton of estrogen because a, a cow is if you can milk it, it's got estrogen right. going on. Right. I would imagine. So I was just thinking that, you know, with milk, I would just be dousing myself in estrogen which is why i'm taking all of the pills every day the aromatase inhibitors that's why i had the hysterectomy right so why would i be filling myself up full of estrogen what can you say to that
2: so what I would say is uh, the way our metabolism works, I think it really gets down into science, is how do we break down the foods that come into our system? Like we put food in our mouth, it starts getting broken down in our mouth, it goes to our stomach, hydrochloric acid, breaking everything up, making a mush called chyme, moving through our body. But what we what our body does is it breaks food down, it breaks down proteins, it break down, breaks down substances, it breaks down cell walls so that it can break down to component parts to build its own tissue and cells so that estrogen is going to get broken down is what i'm going to say to you and it's the same you know i okay. i think the other thing that we talked about was soy and and that also you know has this est- i'm going to put it estrogen in inverted commas because it's not the estrogen that we produce in our bodies it's not the same estrogen that we have. So we just need to think about it that way because it, it's not the way that metabolism works.
0: Does that make sense? I think that's a, that no, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good segue into the soy question. Well, hang, that's, on, hang on one minute that
2: was, I want to get back to your, yeah. wee, your wee little bones and your osteopenia, oh, yes. because I'm worried about those little phalanges in your feet now. And so, because, you know, you you prefer almond milk, it's great, it's fortified, it's got calcium in it, but it's not just the calcium. You know, when you are on aromatase inhibitors, you know, it can really cause this osteopenia that you're talking about. Also, a lot of patients receive steroids and steroids also can cause bone issues. So when we're thinking about um, how we take care of our health, and Megan, this is for you and anyone else who's concerned about their bones, it's not just the calcium, but it's also vitamin D. So vitamin D is in fatty fish. It's in some fortified foods. But it's a good idea to get your vitamin D checked when you have your annual because it can, it can go up and down. And we just want to make sure that you've got enough of it to be there to support your bones. The other thing is magnesium is also super important so it's the three for bones so it's the calcium the vitamin d the magnesium and protein is also important too but magnesium is in green veggies nuts and legumes so you're probably hearing a common theme like the foods that we're talking about for bones were the same foods that we were talking about, like when we talk about just sugar feed the cancer, eat leafy greens, you know, eat healthy foods, eat, eat plant-based proteins, eat the Mediterranean diet. It's all the same kinds of stuff, but it's going to help with those wee little bones in your feet. Well, thank
0: you. You really appreciate it. I actually, I wrote that down while you were talking. So calcium, vitamin D and Mag- magnesium. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And some weight bearing exercise. And that doesn't mean toting like a barbell everywhere you go walking around the office. Walking is a weight bearing exercise. And but that helps to to really get that bone, that bone strength in, which is really important. So sorry to interrupt you. Now we can talk about soy. I'm so glad that you did <laughs> interrupt me. Thank you. <laughs>
0: So yeah, let's, let's talk about soy. I mean, it's, you you called it a phytoestrogen. Yeah. Um, What does that mean? And there's been so many, I've heard definitely eat tons of soy. I remember when my mom had breast cancer in the early 2000s, I remember she would just buy soybeans and just eat them kind mm -hmm. of by the handful. And then I've also heard people say, oh my God, avoid it at all costs. No soy.
2: And, you know, I think this is just um, an example of how science evolves and changes. And over time we learn new things and and we've got longevity in studies. And we look at Asian populations where soy intake is much more significant and the lower risk of of disease. And and what does that look like for us, a society, a Western society that typically doesn't have soy um, in large volumes or or even at all? In, In fact, some people are like, I don't even know what that is. Like, why would I eat that? But what we know... Edamame who? Edamame who, (laughs) that's right. That's right. And what do you want me to do with that? And and it's sort of, you know, we think about... um, this phytoestrogen, this plant-based estrogen, it's called an isoflavone. And so, the thing we need to know is it doesn't convert to estrogen in our bodies. It's not the same as the estrogen that you know we're we're trying to get rid of to prevent cancer. It, it's it's not the same. In fact, what we know is the studies show that it, an increased soy intake can actually be prevent pre- protective, which is something that we all want to do. And one of the recommendations from the American Institute for Cancer Research is to actually have soy intake because we know that it's protective. It's the same as like eat fiber. Those two recommendations specifically for breast cancer patients are really important. And so, I mean, the thing is, we don't all love tofu. I have to say, I'm not a great fan, but it doesn't mean I don't eat it. I do, I just don't eat it a lot. But you can, there are multiple different choices. I mean, Sam mentioned edamame. I mean, it became sort of like the hip bar snack a few years back. You know, it was like you could, you'd could mm-hmm. you pay $10 for the little tiny bowl of edamame in their pod <laughs> and you'd suck them out of the pod and go, ooh, this is really great. Well, you can buy a bag of edamame for a couple of bucks at the supermarket, toss them in a bowl with some olive oil, sea salt and chilli flakes and throw them in the oven high heat for about 10 minutes and you've got that bar snack. And you've got a half cup of soy which is one of the recommendations for people who are dealing with breast cancer so you know you've got whole soy tofu tempeh edamame um soy milk and what we tend to focus on is those whole soy foods not the Granola bars that have more soy isoflavones added to them. We're not so sure about those products, but those whole soy foods—they're really healthy for you and they're very protective. So, would you
0: recommend to people, kind of like what we said before, where just just add it in, yeah. throw it in where you can, or do you think that it's something that some that somebody like myself should focus on really? implementing in their diet on like a daily basis? I
2: think it's one of those recommendations that has some really strong science behind it. And you can look up on um, AICR and you can look at the studies and what their recommendations are. And because this is protective and because it's a great source of of protein. It's almost zero, it's zero fat. Um, it's just, it will take on any flavor that you want to add to it. It's just a way of trying to find out how you're going to put it in Megan. So it might be, I'm going to have some soy milk in the morning on my breakfast cereal or in my oatmeal. And then I'm going to make some of those fun little, um, edamame pods and I'm going to take those to work. And I might have a cup of that. There's your two servings, your three servings rather, because you Love- sorry, let me rephrase, two servings, because it's half a cup of edamame and one cup of soy milk. That's what the serving size looks like, or a quarter of a cup of tofu. So how you do that is really up to you. Um, I'm just going to put this out there. I haven't included the recipe yet, but I can. There is a delicious tofu chocolate mousse recipe. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but It is a delicious (laughs) tofu chocolate mousse, and it goes all in the food processor, and it is so good. I would like that recipe. Okay, I'll (laughs) I'll write it down. I'll put it on the link.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I think that's a perfect segue into, can you kind of give our listeners maybe your top three easy recipes? I know that we'll probably link some below, but just your off-the-cuff go-to they can google it easy blah 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 meal
2: okay so the for people who follow um alison roman on instagram this will not be a surprise but i think my number one choice would be hashtag the stew it is a spiced um chickpea and turmeric stew so it's got turmeric in it, which we know is a great cancer-fighting spice. Um, it just tastes delicious and it comes together so quickly. I actually did a cook and consult with a patient on Friday and we cooked this together, or she actually cooked it. And she texted me to say, this is probably one of the best meals I've had in the last two years and I made it. And I was like, yeah. And it, so yes, it's, it's really, really easy. Um, so I think that would be my first choice. Um, I think because we've been talking about soy, I think the tofu chocolate mousse, because we all like to have something sweet, but we want to have something that we know is good for us or is going to meet that sweet craving. Cause we've been talking about this stuff. Um, great protein. You can have just a little amount of it and feel really satiated by the experience. So I think that would be my second one
1: and not guilty too. I think that's an important thing that we skip over is it's not just oh I'm eating this sweet food or I'm indulging in this craving you feel guilty for doing it because you know that there's probably a lot of added sugars depending on what you're eating. Um so uh, I just wanted
2: to put that in there. No, I think that's, that's great. I me. think <laughs> you know, we haven't really talked that much about added sugars and we can do that at another time, but I think Just really focusing on real foods is important because then you know what's in the food. You know, when Mm -hmm. we buy processed foods, when the ingredient list doesn't start with something you can recognize, it's probably not something (laughs) you should buy. So, anyway, that's just a segue. Um. I'm just thinking of a third recipe. Uh... If it looks like this,
1: I avoid it. If I have to, if if it if it um, looks like a really long list, and I don't know half or over five of the ingredients, like I'm just not doing it. And that's not to say I don't eat any junk food. I have my potato chips and my fast food trips like anybody else. I try to keep a 75 25 25. I lean into the craving, and if I really want some fast food french fries i'll get the french fries but just the french fries not the whole meal right right (laughs) is there times when i get the whole meal absolutely but also like i feel really good when i know what i'm putting into my body and those whole foods make me feel way more satiated than you know a craving or something like
2: that and that's because of the fiber content sam the fiber content makes you feel full plus there's we we hyper Uh, I think we're hyper focused on the flavor profiles we get from these very processed foods. And it's not, you can't replicate that. Like you can't (laughs) and say, okay, I'm going to make something that tastes just like Doritos because you're not going to be able to do that. But you really, you, you, I think getting an appreciation of how to use spices, how to use citrus, how to use herbs, those kinds of things are, really valuable for our sense of well-being and I I really dislike feeling guilty about foods I think we make choices and so if you make a choice to eat something because you are desperate to eat it you know have three Oreos don't have the whole pack you know it's sort of thinking about those things because you will feel virtuous after that the other thing, if you want to eat those, go for a walk. At least you're balancing it, right? It's a balance. Our body is a machine. And so we really need to think about the quality of what we put in and the quality of what we get out, like the energy we feel, those kinds of things. So that gave me time to think about my third choice would be, yes. um, an amazing recipe I have for hummus it is so easy um send that to me <laughs> it's got it's got like four or five ingredients it's um there's an English chef named Yota Motolenghi who also writes for the New York Times now but in the past he's had a partnership with a wonderful chef named Sami Tanimi. and he has this amazing hummus recipe like every all your friends will be begging you to make it And it's in the
1: food processor. Wait next week. I know that would be not traditional Thanksgiving, but I'm not traditional. Oh no, I think you should
2: do it. And the thing (laughs) is, hummus is pricey at the store. Like you buy that chintzy Mm -hmm. little container, and it's got ingredients in it that may not belong in hummus, but it's gone in a flash. Whereas this recipe, mm-hmm. you make enough to feed the neighborhood and everyone's happy.
0: Oh, I think excited. that would be a first for me <laughs> to make something and have people just clamor for it. Yeah, this is I... going
2: to happen. I can tell you, I am confident, Megan, that this is in your very near future.
1: We can make it on video <laughs> I... together, Megan.
0: You can. We,
2: should. <laughs> we
0: absolutely should. I have always joked that I am a utilitarian cook, as in. If an army came into my family room and said, we just fought a battle, we need calories, we need something to fall asleep on, I can feed you and you will be fine. Will you walk away from my house saying, oh my God, that was like what my grandma used to make? Absolutely not. You'll be like, that wasn't awesome, but it got me through. (laughs) That's how my cooking has always been. Big fan of a crock pot, just toss everything in there and call it a day. And a crock
2: pot is fantastic because it's slow cooking. It breaks down proteins. So for patients who've got GI issues, it's ideal. But it's also great for people who are working because you can stick stuff in it, go to work, come home, and there's dinner. You know, I've got a fabulous uh, beef and barley uh, soup recipe that is completely cooked in the in the crock pot. And it's just, it fills the house with this lovely aroma. So you walk in and it, you, you feel like you've had someone in to prep your meal and you haven't. You just were organized enough to get it together in the morning or the night before.
0: See, that's the kicker too. That's the kicker. I got I to gotta work on that. <laughs> Cooking shouldn't
2: take a long well, time.
0: So... We were, you mentioned fiber Yeah, and it made me think about, so I am gluten-free. Um, I'm not celiacs. I just, I just puff up like a puffer fish and I turn bright red, um, if I have gluten. So I don't really have it in my diet. And what I have found is that it's really difficult to get fiber on a gluten-free diet. And maybe I haven't done enough looking into this. Maybe I'm just very used to the types of foods that I eat already, But can you talk to us about kind of the role of fiber and then maybe give us some ideas of what else that is not glutenate? Yeah, absolutely. um, absolutely. That we could do?
2: The fiber has so many different roles, but primarily it's to help you poop and and you know if if you are not getting enough fiber it's going to be real unpleasant down there and and so it's sort of you know a lot of patients are taking pain medications or nausea medications all of which can make you constipated and so so there are two different types of fiber there's soluble fiber and there's insoluble fiber most foods have a combination of both but fiber they have different roles in the GI as well but they both can help to make you feel full so fiber is really important for those who are trying to maintain a healthy weight because it makes your stomach feel full if you eat your fruits and vegetables on your plate first you're likely to eat less of what else is on your plate and and they are where the powerhouse is right and so what fiber does is besides providing um you know, bulk for stool volume, what it actually does is it removes unhealthy fats from your body. Um, it engages with those and you excrete them out. The other thing fiber does is it helps feed your microbiome. And so when we think about uh, what the microbiome is, it, there's a ton of research out there. And if you haven't heard that term before, it's the environment where, you um, micro the microorganisms live we're talking specifically about within our body it's within our gi and they um play a major role in um in immune function in the way that um we move through the day through c- uh, cell repair we think they um uh, they they produce their own dna and and they do all these amazing things um I'm doing some work at the moment with a physician on, can we change the microbiome through the foods we eat? Well, yes, we can. So fibre in particular tends to favour healthy bacteria in our microbiome that produces healthy substances. So fibre has this multi overlay of of reasons why it's important in our diet but most americans um don't get nearly enough uh mo- for women we're looking 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day that's hard to get most people are around 10 10 to 12 grams of fiber a day so the thing is if you're going to increase your fiber, so like 30 <laughs> percent right so if you're going to increase your fiber increase your fluids as well because, as I said, it could get real nasty down there. So let's just make sure that you're increasing your fluids at the same time. But fibre is in all those fruits and vegetables, Megan. So all the fruits and vegetables that you eat, all the whole grains that you eat, the only thing you're avoiding is gluten. So gluten is in wheat. So most wheat products we eat don't have a lot of fibre anyway. So, I mean, if you think about pasta, There's very little fiber in pasta unless it's fortified. Um, But really fiber is in a lot of the really healthy foods that you shop on the perimeter of the supermarket or in those dried beans and legumes and pulses. They've got a lot of fiber as well. Okay.
0: Yeah, I I don't usually go for the beans and not because I don't like them. It just doesn't really register that that's a thing to do. I need to work on that.
2: Well, you know, Um, My my kids and their friends laugh at me all the time because I love beans. They're one of my favorite things. And I cook them all the time. And there's no point, in my opinion, in doing less than 10 pounds at a time. So (laughs) it's such an effort. You may as well fill the freezer. That's all I know.
1: (laughs) I I, I love how you mentioned shopping the perimeter. That's also what I do. I will get my, like I said, my bags of chips that I like I really like the Lay's like baked Cheetos and then some of like kettle cooked chips but then for the most part after that I shop the perimeter you know I'll get my little Dr. Peppers too but I'll shop the perimeter and that's helped me tremendously yeah um and it forces me at my house I'm like okay in my fridge I have all of these fresh fruits and vegetables so and what's also helped me is is getting um like frozen corn or something like that I'm not a canned corn type of person but easily just heating up like and what I like is they're not too big of a serving size either it's perfect for you know two to three people so just helps me that's all I'm gonna say
2: and I know Megan where you're gonna go but I'm just gonna respond to Sam for a minute Sam I'm glad you brought up frozen fruits and veg because it's a really great way to reduce food waste they're picked at their peak um they're usually less expensive and you tend to mm-hmm. you know you they're not moldering in the bottom of the fridge before you know what the heck's going on you know it's still <laughs> a busy week and you've got three slimy zucchinis so, i mean it's not going to happen with frozen fruits and veg so i love that I think it's great. Megan, I it's think you we were going. When you get the slime. Right? <laughs> slime. And don't think dietitians <laughs> don't have slimy fruits and vegetables. It happens. In fact, <laughs> if you look on my Instagram, um, Fearless Food Eats, you will see that I do these no recipe recipes of things that are looking quite tragic in my fridge. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not too proud to take photos of fruits and vegetables that are looking very, very sad. And can I give them a new life? And most of the time but Megan you were gonna ask oh you know me already <laughs> what was I gonna
0: ask I was gonna ask about the drinks I know
2: you were. alcohol you were about- and
0: diet <laughs> coke you gonna- yes so I, I unfortunately I live off of diet coke or diet Dr. Pepper or whatever at the office I've made a rule I do not buy it for the house because then we'd be in real trouble but when I'm at the office you know they kind of keep us stocked with you know pepsi coke products whatever um and alcohol in general now for me personally i'm not drinking much alcohol recently but it is not because of any health kick that i'm on or anything it is simply because i have horrible hot flashes and they will last for about 24 hours if i drink alcohol right now so sometimes it's just not even worth it i might do a glass of wine but i long for the days that i could just pound some like Jim Beam and Diet Coke, and just mix them all together, you know, and just go one after the other. So, this is not me getting on my high horse. No, I just really hate being hot all the time now I, and sweating in places that shouldn't sweat
2: and women metabolize alcohol differently so it, it affects us differently and when you've had an overhaul of your whole metabolic system through having cancer and chemotherapy things change the way that our body responds to alcohol changes and if you've gone through menopause it affects you differently so but let's get back to sam's lovely diet coke as well oh pepsi so um so I actually researched this recently for a patient because um, she was really worried about this as well. The, what the research says is that you have to be drinking like between 13 to 15 um, cans of the diet drink per day for it to be a concern. The other thing is what we're mostly seeing is that it's um, patients who have diabetes are at a higher risk of becoming ill from this. And it's not just because they have aspartame in their drinks. They might also be having sorbitol in other food sources. They might be using artificial sweeteners in their tea. They might be having foods that um, naturally, or not naturally rather, have been fortified with these products. So they're getting a much higher um, concentration, if you like, of, of these um. Uh, these sweeteners and so that's where the science is really focusing on that so I think Megan if you're having you know your three to four drinks per day at the office I'm not really overly worried about that
0: that makes me feel so much better
2: (laughs) when (laughs) you said 13 to 15 I was like I'm looking at like two or three a day, so I'm in the clear (laughs) and right and I think the other thing that we should think about is when research gets reviewed or released the media just hones onto one one sentence from a report and it's not for anyone's benefit that they do that because you miss the whole premise of the study or what the limitations were and so you're just getting some reporters take on a study without really reading it and absorbing what the details say. So, but let's talk a little bit about alcohol. And I know this is a really sensitive topic for a lot of women who have breast cancer, because I think, um, a lot of people enjoy alcohol. They enjoy the feel of it. Megan, not now, because, you know, as I said, what we put our bodies through changes the way that we metabolize, but also the way things taste. Sometimes alcohol just doesn't taste good, or we don't like the way that it makes us feel. And, and that can change over time. So I think, you know, what the research says, it, it used to be they would say one standard drink per day for women and two for men was the upper limit of what you should be drinking. And I don't know about you, but a standard drink is not the glass I have in my house because I've measured it out and I know it's not. So I think the size of the beverage is important to sort of think about that. I think, You know, from my experience with women with breast cancer, alcohol is something that you probably should talk to your physician about because we come up against that quality of life piece. And I I have one gorgeous young patient I'm thinking of at the moment who is very evidence based and wants to follow what all the data says. And now... We're saying, you know, alcohol is linked to so many cancers. It's it's not specific to breast cancer. We've got esophageal, we've got gastric, you know, we've got multiple other cancers that alcohol is implicated and basically it's because it's a poison for our body. So, but as I said at the beginning, dietitians are not the food police. My job is just to tell you what the science says, and we all get to make our own decisions about what we want to do. And so thinking about quality of life is super important. You know, you we feel guilty about so much, as Sam was talking about. I don't think that this is something that we should feel guilt about, but if you're concerned about it, I think you should talk with your oncologist and just get their read on it, because they know you as the whole package. Like, and and the research, you know, the research is just research. It's just saying, this is what we found out. But for each individual person, it has to be a decision that they feel comfortable with. Have you, do you think
0: that there's any data on one type of alcohol being better than another? Like for example, a glass (laughs) of red wine. I mean, Going back to your, you know, all of these studies that are basically just clickbait. I saw one the other day that like one glass of red wine a day will let you live to a hundred, you Keep know, the doctor or whatever. Keep <laughs> the doctor away or whatever. I mean, is my uh, is my whiskey better or worse
2: than red wine? So we used to think that the resveratrol in uh, red wine was cardioprotective and we're not so sure about that anymore. Um, but what I will say is, we do encourage the Mediterranean diet, and alcohol is a part of the Mediterranean diet. At the same time, oh, though, that, they don't have a Talk dirty meat. to me. <laughs> they don't have as red meat. Much red meat. They do eat more fruits and vegetables and whole grains. So, as I said before, adding feta cheese to your salad does not mean you are eating the Mediterranean diet. So, so I'm just that that's. I I don't think the research now is that supportive of red wine or any specific kind of alcohol. Um, But, you know, I think when we look globally, everyone in the world eats differently, right? What we eat here in the United States is different to what people eat in Japan or what they eat in Paris. Um, If you told the Parisians that they needed to stop drinking wine to prevent cancer, would they do that? Yeah. Absolutely not. So I think it's quality of life. I think it's quality of life, and that's why if you, if this is something you're worried about, like Sam talked about guilt, if it's something that you're doing and you just are like, oh God, this is, I'm, I'm just, I feel so bad doing this. That that completely defeats the point. So talk with your oncology team to sort of get their take on it. I think is my best advice for that.
0: Beautiful. Great
1: advice, Lisa. It's definitely obvious you have cancer close to your family and not that I'm saying that in a positive way but just so
2: <laughs> I do can recommend you know, that to our listeners it, because I it it's important Sam right uh-huh. you've got to live your life I mean Megan said at the beginning I've just been basically through hell and back you know I've done all these things to my body I've had all these things removed from my body and now you're going to tell me I can't do all these things I actually like doing like ice cream's kind of important right <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and people will feel the same way about a glass of wine when they get home. And I think, you know, if they've had a stressful day at work, sure. Are there other ways you can manage your stress? But if you're coming home to a partner who has poured a glass of red wine for themselves and it's part of your unwind at the end of the day, as I said, I'm not the food police. I can only tell you what the research says. And, when, and I think quality of life is just critically important. It is crucially important. So, you know, we all have to just do what is right for us. Love that too, Lisa.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you if, because I mean, we're kind of winding up on time. So I was going to ask you if you could give, you know, a a short snippet of what your takeaway is from this, but I feel like you just did it perfectly.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Live your life. Keep the Eat the food. Go, Eat yeah, the go foods. You know, I think that we get so caught up, as I said before, when we think about what caused our cancer, because there's so much that's out of our control. Like we can't control where the power lines uh, are put through our our suburb or we can't control um, the sun you know, the impact of sun on our skin. We can put some sunscreen on, but we're probably still going to get some sun exposure. There are so many things we can't control, which is why we come back to food. And what I, I think my overarching message would be enjoy the foods, enjoy what makes you happy. If making um, a, a an eye filet of steak once a month for you to enjoy with your family is what is something that drives you and is exciting and tastes fantastic, do it. But you don't, it's special because you do it less frequently. More frequently, make the great big salad. Throw in the pomegranate or you know, um, find a way to put soy into your diet. But at the same time, if you're going to have some Cheetos, Sam, enjoy them because you're making that choice. It's not all or nothing. It's a little of what you fancy. And I think that that's really important when we think about the foods that we choose. I'm not a big fan for processed foods. I never have been. And I love the flavors that I can produce in my kitchen. And so I would encourage your listeners to sort of think about, you know, some simple, easy recipes that you can use on a recurring basis that are going to taste fantastic, that aren't going to take you all day, aren't going to cost you the earth. Not all good food comes from Whole Foods. It often comes from the local fruit and vegetable market where you wash it at home and you enjoy it because it's delicious. And, you know, cheese, have a piece of cheese cheese is amazing sure there are higher fat cheeses than you know and lower fat cheeses there are high flavor cheeses there are cheeses that taste like cardboard choose the one that makes you happy and have a small serving of it and then just balance it with other things through the day it's not all or nothing and that's I think part of the reason why I'm not a big diet fan because if you're telling me that I need to take this whole food group out of the foods that I eat, I'm probably not going to do very well with that diet because it doesn't fit with what makes me happy. So eat the foods that make you happy. Think about the foods that just bring a joy to you, whether it's something that your grandmother made and include it on your table because you will get so much from that and it will also probably reduce some stress and increase some happiness in your body.
0: I'll tell you what: a good fat chunk of Irish cheddar, with go. a little bit, with a little bit of red wine, done. Right, done. Right. Well, so that's, that's where the joy lives.
2: Right. So let's think about that, Megan. So, a lot of calcium, a lot of protein. I could almost make that healthy if I tried long enough. But, <laughs> but you know, the protein, <laughs> the protein and the joy is where the health is, right? That the little bit of saturated fat in it, you know. You're having a slice of it with a glass of wine. It's about what makes you happy. It that is something I could just see the look on your face when you describe that. It's like, oh my god, this speaks to me. I can relate to that completely. I totally can. Piece a piece of toast with Vegemite makes me so happy.
0: See, Stop.
2: look, and look at your face. You eat the Vegemite. Oh my god! But- yes, we've got a kilo bucket of it here.
0: Sam, have you ever tried it no oh no god's,
2: god's gift to the planet
0: <laughs> i will call it an acquired taste yeah
2: i think
1: I that's right. what i've heard that's what i've heard and i think that's why i'm afraid i any acquired taste things i am on the latter side of the acquired taste what about olives, so. you like olives? nope i think <laughs> they taste like rubber
2: <laughs> it's gonna take some time sam it's gonna take some time <laughs>
1: we're a work in progress Lisa we all are
2: (laughs) we're all a work in progress
1: I so hope we can have you on reoccurring episodes on the show I know I have loved having you on here I can see by Megan's facial expressions she's loved having (laughs) you on here and we just had a grand old time so I would love to do this if you are available sometime in the
2: future. I would love it if some of your listeners would send in some questions because if they're not the only people with that question, you know, there are other people wondering how to do things or what the science says, and I'm happy to look things up um, and and give you an evidence-based answer. And so I think let's just, you know, leave this with saying, make sure you're careful where you get your information from. Make sure that you source um, it effectively. I know I shared this with you guys when I typed in a couple of uh, questions. I think one was, "Does sugar feed the tumor?" This lovely website came up, and I looked at it, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, look at this!" This it was a very official title. I'm not going to say it here because I don't want to be accused of slander. But I looked at it, and and I thought, "Oh my gosh!" I started reading the article, and if I had not known better. I would have walked away from that thinking I can never um, eat anything that's a carbohydrate again. And then I looked at who we are and I looked through the list of the people who had written the information and I realised it was deliberately set out to look really official and trustworthy and, um, and none of the people who were making these claims were actually qualified to do so. So propaganda right yes propaganda and there's so much of it and the person who's serving you at the supermarket is not a nutrition expert and neither is your neighbor's sister's aunt so just make sure that you get your information from places that are reliable and I know you lovely ladies are going to be doing that
0: thank you so much Lisa you're can welcome can you tell Can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. um, On your website? Yeah.
2: My website is Um, fearlessfood.health. It's a Squarespace website. You can go on there. um, You can look at my published articles. You can look at things that I've been involved in. You can also learn a little bit more about me and what my consultation style is like. Um, And my Instagram is um, fearlessfoodeats. And so lots of great photos of food, food that's comforting, food that's just delicious. <laughs> the remnants of the bottom of my vegetable crisper being thrown into some form or another to resemble a meal. And um, I would just say I'm very practical and I'm very real about food. So yeah, please come and, come and hit me up online, like on my website and um, set up a consult with me or follow me on Instagram and I'll keep posting things that are delicious and healthy
0: we're we're going to link all of that so for our listeners (laughs) you will absolutely have access to just click and go to lisa's site
2: that sounds great and i look forward to talking with you lovelies at some time in the future
0: i I can't wait for it
2: (laughs) (laughs) happy thanksgiving thank you so much happy thanksgiving to you too
0: we are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice everyone's experience with cancer is very different And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor.